Everybody Counts podcast here. We're back and it's time to discuss episode two of season six. I'm Tracy. I'm Jay. And I'm Pete. What up? Here we are. The gang's all here. We're talking about episode two. It's titled Good People on Both Sides. This episode was written by Daniel Pine and directed by Alex Zakrushki. So let's get into it. We kind of start off right off the bat with some tension between the FBI and the LAPD. I mean, who saw that coming, right? Not me. <laughs> Chief Irving, uh, he's not happy that these, these uh, the FBI folks have left the LAPD, his detectives, out of the loop. They have more information on these 308s than we thought. So we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit. But when the episode first opens up, Harry's sitting outside. Casey's Tavern. So we presume this is the tavern that the guy in the park told Beryl about, associated with the 308s. And it's late at night. A couple guys get out of a vehicle and start to walk in. Harry's eyeing them. And then a car pulls up alongside him. And it's Agent Reese. And she's like, you can't be here. So I guess they have some surveillance operation going on or something. And she kicks him out of there. So Right off the bat, there's, I mean, they kind of joke about it, you know, that she and Maxwell had a bet on, you know, who would um, get there sooner, I guess, Bosch or them. But yeah, it's still kind of showing that things aren't getting off the bat great right away. So again, Chief Irving is like, you can't withhold information uh, from my guys. And they're like, you know, we're trying, what can we do? And they're like, well, my guys want to have another interview with Alicia Kent. So they're like, okay, but one of my, Brenner, special agent in charge, he's like, one of my guys or gals is going with them. So they're all walking out of the building. And this is where we get the big line from the trailer. And Reese says, you know, reminds, she's reminding Harry to stay in his lane. And they make a couple of jokes. Oh, these guys are traffic cops, you know, whatever. And then Maxwell gets pretty explosive uh, says something to Harry and Harry basically tells him to stand down in the famous lane that my lane has no lines. So That's the best. We love that so the much. The best. Yeah. 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 He shut him down. So yeah, I mean, there's that, there's that tension from the beginning. So Sylvia Reese, agent Sylvia Reese ends up escorting them to the interview with Alicia Kent and we get a little more information this time. They ask more details about the assailants she doesn't have a lot more information, but she describes them interestingly. She says they were kind of like, acted like they wanted to be soldiers. Like that they weren't, but kind of trying to be. Right. It's kind of interesting. And some might associate that with some behavior that, you know, they've seen from sovereigns before. Uh, would you guys think about that, wanting to be soldiers? Is that a, would you think about that description? It's interesting and scary all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could. Yeah, it could be scary. You don't want people, you know, that aren't, that right. don't have the capabilities or the authority to be a soldier. You know, trying to be one. Um, we learn a little bit about their relationship. Stanley and Alicia had been married for almost twelve years. They met in grad school. We find out that Stanley had a gun. She described it as sort of a small handgun, and they're like, "Well, where does he keep it? A box in the garage." They go out to the garage. Gun's not there. Interesting. That's never uh -huh. ever good. Never, ever good. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, Marcos and Arias have died. J. Edgar goes to Dwight Wise, Gary's dad, and make sure that he's aware of it. And they both talk about it 
a little bit. One thing we did not bring up in the last, in the first episode, Dwight, Gary's dad, was tailing Marcos and Arias as well. Did you remember that? Like he was, you saw him yeah. in the restaurant taking yeah. pictures. So Jerry doesn't know that yet, but he, he does end up finding it out. But yeah, they're just like, you know, maybe one of their quote crooked deals went south. But, you know, they have concerns with, like we talked about in some of our interrogation last episode, what does this mean for them trying to find out who killed his son? You know, it does seem problematic. Later on, Jerry learns from the RHD detectives, Conniff and Espinosa, they tell him that Dwight was also watching Marcos and Arias. So later in the episode, Jagger confronts Dwight about that. And of course, Dwight, I mean, as you might understand, he said he felt like, you know, he had to, he lost his son. You know, what else? You know, he's right. just struggling. What, what else can you do? He's got to get information. But it, we're kind of, he was kind of worried that Jerry thought he actually maybe was watching him so much that he witnessed the murder. He's like, no, 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 no. I was at choir practice with my wife. I turned pages for the organist. Uh, but he did have some pictures to show Jerry and showed a place called Crenshaw Bar and Grill. So he said that the detectives, Marcus and Arias, they he kept getting some, you know, photos of them at that place and Avril at that place. So they're like, hmm, maybe that's the quote clubhouse. So you know Jay Andrew's gonna go check that place out later in the episode. But a lot happens before that even goes down. Let's just jump back into our FBI LAPD effort to find this cesium. So they talk to Alicia Kent, they get some information. Maxwell calls them back, I guess, to the FBI office. Uh, Reese says he has some information. Uh, they go back and they do share a bunch of files on these people that we saw at the house pinning locations on a map. They, they, they are associated with the 308s. They say they're kind of a small group but maybe kind of growing more threatening and one is named travis strout and we saw his wife last episode heather she mentioned a guy in the last episode named craver they mentioned him heather's brother-in-law uh charlie dax and harry chimes in saying that was the guy he saw at the tavern when he was watching them before reese pulled up so that was the same guy so he pointed that out and then they pointed out the other guy we saw from last episode is Waylon Strout, who is Travis's brother. So I think it's those five people that they have files on. We learn that Craver is a confidential informant for the FBI. And that's how they were able to get a lot of this information. And they have leverage on him because he used like a fake charity or something and is wanted on wire fraud or whatever. They have that, you know, pinned over his head. So they've got more information to deal with. And... But, you know, they're like, how are we going to go in? How are we going to, what do we do now? And Maxwell brings some other information to the surface. He said that there is a warrant out for Waylon, uh, who seems to be like the ringleader's brother, and he's not paying child support. So that's a no-no. So they think, use that as leverage. Go and approach him about that, start the conversation, bring him in to be questioned, you know, start, start from there, you know and dig it into these guys. So they go out to the Strout house, you know, Bosch just wants to do it. You know, we'll take care of it, low profile. We'll get him in here and kind of start this process. FBI agents insist on going as well. Edgewood, we've seen year after year, Officer Edgewood and then Officer Powers, they're on the scene. So there's multiple, you know, people there and Jerry and Harry just, you know, knock politely on the gate. They don't go up to the house. They just wait for Waylon to come out. And then a lot happens 
from there. It is not a quiet conversation. Uh, there, it's not just that there's animosity. There is danger. So who wants to talk about what happens at that house? Do it, Pete. Okay, so, so what we have here is Bosch and Edgar play the situation 100% correct and have it going towards a peaceful, you know, whatever it's going to be, or at least very somewhat peaceful. Then the FBI comes in and jumps the gun and runs in and gets all gun-ho and says, you'll do what we tell you to do. So while this is all going on, he's saying, get off my property. His brother pulls up and he's like, what's going on? Yeah. And they're like, nothing. We're just taking your brother down, get in the truck, drive with him. Let's, let's just go peacefully. Let's just get the solved. One, two, three. We're not trying to trespass. Somewhat, something like that. And then the guy, Whalen, just starts screaming, gets taken down. Handcuffed. Yeah, the ground. Yeah, gets handcuffed. And you can't, according to these guys, wacky law, you can't trespass and do what they're doing. So the brother pulls out his gun and people get shot. It's a shootout. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, the FBI fires back. You know, everyone pulls their guns to fire back. Powers goes down. He ends up in the hospital. He was the one handcuffing Waylon. You know, Travis is shooting at everyone. Maxwell fires the shots that take Travis down, and those shots are lethal. Travis is gone. So they're not going to be able to talk to him. Um, so, yeah, things just escalated way beyond what the purpose was and the sort of the defined mission so and if you ask Brenner, Brenner, it yeah. was 100 percent the fbi guy's fault yes completely yeah mm -hmm. completely yeah just sort of antagonistic you know talk about not staying in his lane yeah. <clears throat> really really that would yeah they weren't supposed yeah thank you jay i, I so, got you bosh I got you. <laughs> Jack Brenner shows up, special agent charge. He's like, what happened here? How did this, you know? And then Heather shows up. She hasn't been able to reach her husband. She drives up in her car and they won't let her through. And she's, you know, demanding her rights, of course, and not honoring their rules. Wants to get through, finally pushes her way through and learns that her husband's died. I mean, that's <clears throat> obviously yeah. shocking. Uh, for her, and it's just like a, a, a circus, you know, it's just bad. There's cameras everywhere, or it's all these people, and Jay Edgar tells the boss, you know, this, this is going viral, you know, this is going to be on the news, and sure enough, we see a shot of the other guy, we mentioned Charlie Dax, that's Heather's brother-in-law, you know, it's hard to kind of keep up with all this. He's at the bar, drinking and seeing all this on the news, so yeah, information's out there, and we kind of tie together that he's the brother-in-law, he's the one that Harry had seen at the bar. So yeah, Travis is dead and Powers is in the hospital. And I mean, we get aggravated with Powers. He's an antagonist to Bosch, but we don't want him to go to the hospital. So, you know, and apparently it's a pretty, pretty uh, serious situation too. So they also have to, you know, of course they have to go ahead and search the house where the Strouts were living. Edgewood helps out with that. They do find that room with pins on the map. I think don't they like tied to federal buildings or something bosch yeah identifies that that yeah. you know that seems um unsettling and then edgewood calls to him up in the attic there are tons and tons of guns and even an ied so they bring all that out like we got all this stuff crazy stuff but no cesium and that's what they you know trying to find we're trying to find the cesium they think they're associated with it they're being suspected at least one of them of being the one who did the ransom tied up Alicia Canton killed her husband. So prime suspect 
but no cesium. So where is the cesium? But they also find in the big pile of guns a small handgun that matches the description of Stanley Kent's gun. Da-da. So that's very curious. Yep. Yeah. And eventually we find out. So a lot's happened here, but again, no cesium. Like what, what's going on? They're, they're desperate to find this dangerous material. And a lot of things have gone haywire that they didn't expect. Now they have, you know, another person um, dead. So they bring Waylon and Heather in. Obviously, Heather is distressed. You know, she's lost her husband. She says she doesn't know anything about cesium. What is that? You know, no idea. Right. Uh, Waylon, mm-hmm. um, he's right out of the gate saying, you know, making sure everybody knows he's a human and that he does not subscribe to the federal law and making all that clear on um, in the interrogation. But interestingly, both of them say that Travis was with them that night. So obviously he couldn't be in two places at right. once. You know, Bosch right. points out that one or both of them, you know, is, li- is lying. Heather says that the pins, that he uses them in his presentation, like online videos or something, for their movement. But yeah, they don't know anything about cesium, or at least that's what they say. Waylon asked for his lawyer, so that kind of shuts down that conversation. And then they, they end up finding Alicia Kent's car um, in Waylon's garage. So, okay, they don't have the cesium, but her car is in their garage. Hmm, suspicious. Mm. There are materials in there that look like they could be used for making bombs. That's suspicious. But in a report later from Agent Reese, she does confirm that that gun they found at their house was the murder weapon. You know, ballistics matched it up. So things just, they're, they're very suspicious and you think it's fallen into place, but yet they haven't found the cesium. So yeah, it's just very, very, very odd. Things are not adding up. So now Travis Strout is, is dead, who was like the prime suspect. So the, the FBI kind of thinks, well, you know, it's over. Harry's like, no, 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 it's not over. I want to talk to, to Waylon some more. But then Waylon has been moved into someone else's custody and he's not able to talk to him. But he's not giving up. Bosch does not give up. He's like, well, let's talk to this CI guy, this Graver guy. And they're like, okay, you know, Maxwell. It's like, okay, we'll go to his apartment. You know, he's my CI. They go there. There's no answer at the door. But Reese says, we can go in. We're paying the rent for this place. They go in. Craver is dead on the floor. Probably been there a little while. So did not see that coming. The body count is is going up here. So kind of another dead end. They have all this supporting evidence, but, you know, no cesium, cesium and people are, are dying all around the place. So there's a lot of, uh, lot of activity on that case for sure in this episode. But we have a few others involved uh this episode as well and a lot of that involves jerry did i say jerry like jacques jerry, jerry yes <laughs> I, think I, just, I think i just said jerry you just you jerry. just shipped them on this podcast you just shipped them that's <laughs> right, um, pretty funny uh, jerry and jacques have a serious conversation but but let's talk a little bit about what's happening with um maddie before we get in to that conversation you know she's at work her dad has told her don't go out don't go out to lunch stay in come straight home again he's still not you know telling her what exactly is going on but she she listens to her dad she's like yeah i'll stay in so she's in there working on the case uh going through it's dante crow is the one who's been um, wrongfully incarcerated just digging through the file she looks kind of puzzled you know something's curious and she finds out from there it looks like from the summary that there's a big witness like a a pivotal witness in the case that was given a plea deal, but it was not in the case documents in the summary report. So what's up with that? That's very suspicious. 
also this other guy working with Chandler, I guess he is, is an attorney. She's an intern. He's just not being very nice to Maddie. He's like trying to rush her and just not being. I don't, I don't like him. He was condescending. He's a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. He does some jerky behavior for sure. And later that night, Maddie talks to her dad about the missing information, you know, and he's like, yeah, you need to bring that up with Chandler. Um, but she tells Miller first, this, this other attorney, she's going to go up the chain and Miller practically, he just practically dismisses her concern and says he'll look at it when he has some time in his schedule. It's like, okay, dude, you know, thanks a lot. Thanks for nothing. Yeah, so, jerk. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> what else? Cooper tries to suggest that Billet's undermined him. The captain, I'm sorry, the chief comes into the station because he has said Bosch is to report directly to the chief about this whole Stanley Kent murder and the cesium. So she says, no, you weren't around. He came into the station to to talk about it. He asked for you first and you weren't here. So again, Cooper, just so annoying, right? Let Let me ask you a question. Do you think he asked for him first? Or you think she just lied just so Cooper wouldn't think that she's always working against him, trying to make it a little easier? I don't know, but does it matter? You know, because Bosch reports directly to her at this point, and he's telling his direct report that she needs to allow Bosch to report directly to him. I mean, yeah, they need to let the captain know, but he's just so petty about it. So, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know if that's really what happened or if she just said that, but I I think what I pull from it is that he's just so petty, but not getting a good feeling about Captain Cooper. This season, we see a little bit more interaction with um, Grace and Billets. I'm sorry, Grace is Billets. <laughs> Grace and uh, Grace and Vega. You know, she's complimenting them on the progress they're making with the body parts case and how court went. Um, and you know, I think if you remember from last season, Vega is the one that really kept on with this case and said, "We're keeping it. We're not giving it up to RHD." She was very, you know, persistent about that. So I think Billis does kind of pull her out as kind of, you know, the star in this. And she says that says to Pierce, you know, this Vega is making you a rock star. She walks out and then Pierce refers to Vega as teacher's pet. And again, there's just this issue going on and Vega is not happy with him calling her that. She's she's just not happy with this situation. She feels something that, you know, she uh, thinks listen, feels not right. I don't know what's going on with Vega, but I don't like it. What, whatever her, her issue is, you know, it's true. If you have an issue like that, and you feel a certain way, you just need to talk to somebody. Talk to that person directly. Pull them aside. She shouldn't be talking to Pierce about anything she feels. She should go to Bill directly because I understand if it was like Captain Cooper. And, mm-hmm. you know, from what we know about him, he's a little more like, you know, formal and by the mm-hmm. book. But I feel like if she pulled Bullets, Bullets aside because we know Bullets, the character, for years now from watching the show. Right. We know right. it wouldn't be an issue. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like maybe she yeah. doesn't know it because technically we know Bullets way better than Vega does because Vega just transferred over last season. Yeah. But yeah, she doesn't I mean, have yeah. that relationship like the the rest of the crew does. So I understand how she's not so quick to go talk to her. But you know, that's another thing too. Like that, it, I, I mean, I didn't I didn't see nothing into it, but I I picked up the vibe that Bosch, you know, the writers were throwing out at this point of what yeah. to watch for. And I felt like I said Vega just needed to. Um, it, it seemed more like she was having a bad day or a bad moment compared to you know feeling a certain way. But I can't judge because I'm not Vega and I don't know. I just yeah. I also we are very extra protective of billets because we love her sure so it's yeah. harder to make a judgment that's unbiased but not my right point. no that's that's a very good point we've we've known grace billets for so long and we're definitely in her corner and have seen all the likable things about her so for someone to be bothered by her behavior or her personality is you know 
feels foreign to us. We don't like that. And we're, we're protective of that. But clearly Vega has some, somehow it, you know, really does seem to concern her. So we also have um, a case that comes back to season six or comes to season six back from season five. Crate and Beryl are called out to see Teddy Hobbs, who was, they had a caps case with him, crimes against persons. Last year, he was the one who's like, there were two guys and he's like, he was in my spot. He was, that's my spot. That's my spot over and over. And the other guy, you know, claims he can be there, you know. And if you recall, even Teddy, Teddy Hobbs is the guy last season, you know, he just seemed really upset, obviously, about that guy being in his spot and kind of even threatened that if he's in his spot again, you know, there could be trouble. But this time, it's not about a spot. This time, Teddy is uh, walking around in the nude, asking, uh, soliciting folks to have, you know, they can have their picture taken with him, claiming he's a former child star, and they can pay to have a photo with him. <laughs> Jay, you want to cover that one? I mean, I mean <laughs> Jay, you, you know, up there? you got to make a living. I mean, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, think about it. If you're, if you're visiting L.A., right? You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're perusing the shops and this guy mm-hmm. comes up to you and yes, he may be naked, but imagine the stories to go along with that picture. You could tell everybody back. I, I would have done. And, but let us not forget the reason that he's naked. Do you remember, Jay? He's dealing with menopause. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. And how can I, I think his, I think his clothes are hid, like at, he said, the W Hotel or something. And they're, they, they like comment on how many blocks away that is. And they couldn't believe how far he's been walking in the nude. But they also point out by the time they deal with the paperwork associated with this, you know, it'll be over. Put your clothes back on, and, you know, and, and be on your way. But yeah, that's... Not what I expected their call to be about, but we do get to see Teddy again. Uh, and some people got to see more of Teddy than they expected, apparently. So that was interesting. We'll leave it at that. An- another little thing that happened, not little, but the chief is talking to Jenkowski and, you know, he's concerned about this fire terrorism threat and he's thinking he might need to back off on the campaign for a while, take a break. I don't know, but she gives him some information that, She's heard from Scott Anderson from the LA Times, who's always trying to weasel his way into what's going on at the LAPD. He is tying feds to the shootout at the Strout House. So I guess he, I don't know if he had photographs or what, but heard that they were part of this murder investigation. And then maybe he saw them, connected them with the Strout House thing, and it's just getting bigger and bigger and, you know, more concerning. And they need to kind of shut that down and, you know, keep that conversation minimal you know not to scare people and so forth so he entrusts jen to keep it quiet and says that they will utilize laura cook who we've seen reporting i know in season four i'm not sure if we saw her in season five but she's been promoted at the paper so i imagine he's probably going to be having a conversation with her and trying to use some leverage to get them to pull that story and keep quiet about it so we'll see what happens there But what we really need to talk about before we move on is this conversation between J. Edgar and Jacques Avril. So he got those pictures from Dwight with the Crenshaw Bar and Grill, and he shows up there looking for Jacques Avril. And sure enough, he sees him pull in, park, get out, and go inside. But then something else happens. Who wants to talk about what goes on from there? Are you talking about the surprise knock on the window? That would be the one, yeah. Don't you hate when you're sitting in a parking lot trying to do some surveillance and somebody just on your window and it's the guy you're looking for? (laughs) Right. The man with the cool name knocks on his window, even invites him inside. Jerry declines. 
and he gets in the car with them and they have a, I don't know, tense is the right word, but a firm conversation with one another. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was sort of kind of chit chatty a little bit in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But J.R. Edgar does even kind of ask him, any idea, you know, like uh, why Marcos and Ariel's are dead or who would want to kill him? And uh, that was probably the most tense part of that conversation because I think the unspoken conversation is the one that really matters there in the car. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he brings up again, Jerry brings up, he says, Oh, you know, you said that your father was a butcher to Pichonville or, and that he killed my uncle. Well, Hey, wait a minute. I did some research and your uncle had actually fled the country. I think gone to Panama it was when his uncle was murdered. So it could not have been him. So he's essentially saying, I still think it was you. Mm. So that comes up and um, he, he asks him about, you know, yeah, the police, you know, are talking to him about Marcus and Arias and any connections they had. And of course he just politely says he's a good businessman, <laughs> good citizen, you mm-hmm. know, doing just what he needs to do to be cooperative and all that. And, and Jerry basically says, what you did as part of the secret police and having, you know, the government cover for you or whatever, the, the State Department, they're not going to do that now. You're, he calls it my city. You know, you're in L.A. and whatever crimes you're doing, you're going to be accountable for them. And, yeah, he says, do you have any idea who could have done this to Marcus Narius? And that's when he does the line we see in the trailer that, you know, the world is full of angry, vengeful men. And boom, J. Edgar's like, yeah, I'm one of them. So it's, it's so, it's so hard to describe that conversation because it's so epic, but it's very polite. And like you say, it's it's hard to say whether it's tense. There's like unspoken threats, like there's clear threats, but they're just sort of unspoken, but they're very clear. It's just, it's crazy. It's very calm, calm, but hidden kind of chaos behind it conversation. Yeah. Like, like strategic, like, yeah, yeah it's, it's someone come up with some good words and, and send them to us. Mm-hmm. How you would describe that conversation because it was, what'd you say, Pete? Smooth and crafty. Very smooth and crafty. Those are good ones. Let, yeah. Let me tell you something. I just want to put this on record. Yeah. If sure. this guy wasn't responsible for doing something horrible and making my man Jay Egger feel a certain way. Yeah. I mm-hmm. might be all about this Jacques of real guy because I kind of like the way he flows, but he's messing with me. <laughs> And I like the way Jager flows just a lot more. I like him. I, I do. I like him. Uh, yeah, it's He's hard a to bad dude, him, but I like him. Yeah. But Jager, man, right. I'm team Jager from the beginning, from day one. Of course. But yeah, you're right. Jacques Real is smooth. He's a smooth yeah. criminal. There you go. And yeah, he's very polite, very nice. You know, it's interesting. Interesting and scary. So anything else we need to talk about for our case review for episode two? Anything glaring so. that we missed? All right. Let's get into our interrogation room. Jay, how about you go first? I have a lot of questions when it comes to uh, to this. I think, where do I want to go? I'm going to go with, how much is the FBI really going to mess this up? <laughs> because, well, they've had a good start. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the shootout, we see them holding back information. You know... They want to. They want to close the case. How how much really are they gonna mess this up? Right. I don't know. 
it's on a downward trajectory, I guess, at this point, at least from our perspective as, you know, Harry Bosch fans and being on the side of the LAPD, it just seems like they're withholding information, their things are going a different way than planned and anticipated. So you, you kind of get yeah. that feeling that it's only going to get worse from here. So yeah. I would say, I don't know how bad, but even worse. I don't like but it. You, you don't like it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think we know that. <laughs> so how would you answer that, Pete? I think that... From, I mean, we've seen a lot of evidence connecting over the course of the past two episodes. So if you're not, you know, on if, if you're just watching this from an outside perspective, I could easily see how it's it's a close cut case. But we know, Bosch knows, everybody that's watching knows that it's not just close cut right now. I mean, for obvious <laughs> reasons, you know, they're, they're, it's just not going to play out like that. Else they would have just put it into the limelight and been like later. Yeah, no, it's they're holding back stuff and they try to close the case. and. It seems very normal to me right now, but there's a reason why the show isn't closing the case and is still leaving loose ends here and there and showing us certain things of this about this case, so we can think a little bit deeper of where's where's the twist? What are they not seeing? What are we not seeing? What is Boss not seeing yet? So I think it's a a valid question, but I think if from their standpoint, it's it's a very it's a very logical routine maneuver to try to close the case as soon as possible. So again, well, you you made a good point too. It's very obvious that they want it to be done you know that's very evident that Bosch is not satisfied things are not adding up they clearly want it to be done with so that's that's odd and another nod to the writers because in my experience in watching these shows the FBI always wants the case done quick they want numbers that they solved cases that's what they want they don't want to have <laughs> all these cases open you know they don't care they don't care if there's a loose end here or there if they have enough they you know not that they don't care but if they have enough you know by protocol they got to close that case and move on to another possible terror threat or whatever <laughs> it is a bigger threat yeah. so Could- i understand what's going on and the writers nailed this again where the FBI is trying to wrap it up and the cops just can't let it go because it's not fully solved. That's the mm-hmm. way. Great writing. Definitely. Definitely great writing. Well, my question, it's not a huge part of the episode, but it's a curiosity that I have. It doesn't have to do with the Strauss and the Kent case and all that. But this guy Miller, you know, Pete said, you don't like him. That's working with Maddie. I mean, what do you think his deal is? I mean, he is an attorney that works for Chandler. She's an intern. Is it just about, does he feel threatened? Hi, Maddie. Is he just a jerk to everybody? Why is he throwing the shade at her? I think he's just a jerk. Okay. He probably looks at Maddie Bosch as, oh, you're Maddie Bosch. You didn't get this because you deserve this internship. Mm. It's because of the relationship. So I'm just going to be a jerk and treat you like crap. <laughs> All right. I can buy that. What do you think, Pete? I mean, I think, again, it's just uh, he's the guy's a lawyer, I believe, from what they said. So, you know, when you're a lawyer and if you're working Honey Chandler's cases, you know, you're busy. And Mm -hmm. and I'm sure like, you know, in his mind, whatever she found, it could possibly be nothing. So why even waste your time when you're so busy with a bigger workload? And I understand that part of it, but. He could have been a little nicer to Maddie considering she's new to the game. And, you know, he was just he like probably you know, doing this for free, too. You know? Yeah, it, it was it was uncalled for. What yeah. he did. I don't know if he's necessarily a jerk all the time, but I know what it's like to be at work and be busy and then have somebody just come and ask you a question. And you're just like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 whatever. But did you get the main thing done? And then, mm-hmm. you know, it comes off like you're being a jerk. So you got to deliver stuff better. I understand. So I'm not going to say he's a jerk yet, but we have mm-hmm. a whole figure this out okay well to answer my own question if i can i i asked you because i don't really know but 
I just, I get the feeling that he feels threatened in some way by her. He's just maybe just not very secure in himself. Yeah. I don't know. But, but I yeah. do like your point, Jay, that maybe, maybe the name, the Bosch name, you know, and having some, yeah. you know, frustration with that, you know, or feeling threatened by that, that name and how she got there. I mean, I would think he knows who she is and who her dad is, but I mean, we obviously know, but you know, right. Does everybody else know? I'm not sure, but I think that's an interesting point. So what's your question for us, Pete? <laughs> All right. So my whole thing is, is that the thing that interests me the most this season so far is this 308 group of people who are anti-government and mm-hmm. don't respect the laws and don't have to follow the, the protocol and respect the authority of the police and don't need proper identification or license plates. Now, you know, certainly when there's laws to out there i'm not gonna say well uh, i'm not gonna have a fake license plate you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. my question for you guys is is it possible for something like this to really exist and if so do they really get away with it <laughs> like i'm just curious because i'm so interested if this is like a real thing out there that you guys know about I know it, it's- it is a real thing it is a real thing you can find a lot of stuff online about but, it. not that everything online is true but it, yeah it's a it's a it's a, a movement it's a concept you know, that is real. These specifically the 308s, I think that's probably a fictional no, but group that like, they've made up. That concept, uh-huh. do the police and sheriffs and such recognize their right to not have authority over them? Or is that no. just like a, so it's a constant battle? I guess it's a constant battle because remember, Beryl even says to the guy in the park, yeah, I'm a cop and I wrote, how did you, I, that's how I met. Oh yeah, he wrote the ticket. The, yeah, he wrote him up for not having a license plate. So, um, no, I'm sure that it, it sounds like yeah, like you said, it's constant. Well, listen, Pete. Listen, uh, my car registration has to be renewed next month, so <laughs> I'm not. And I'm gonna tell them that I'm part of the Bosch Sovereign Society and that we don't believe in that. And I'll let you know how long I get away with it. Just make okay, it your you're own. You're gonna cite your favorite detective drama. <laughs> just make, right, just right. no, Jay. Just make right. your own out of like cardboard or construction right. paper and just throw it in there. Like this is right. it. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be well over two. That's what I'm going to put on my plate. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, it's time for persons of interest, again, who are not necessarily suspects, but people we want to recognize from the episode and talk a little more about. Who's going to go first? Man, this is a tough one because uh, I feel like there's quite a few to choose from. But I'll, I'll go first so uh, no one can, can steal mine. There you go. I am, um, and I'm going to have a part B to this too, because I'm going to cheat and hope that uh, you don't edit it out. I'm going to go with uh, Jacques Avril again, because I just love that name. But mm-hmm. I think you described, I think the word you used to describe their conversation was epic, I think is the adjective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just agree with that so much. Um, you know, Bosch, the show is so, every season, there's always multiple stories and there's always a bunch of different things to think about. And there's always, you know, the main story and a couple background ones and a couple, maybe they throw in as a curveball. You're not expecting. I just don't know what's going to happen with this guy. And mm-hmm. I don't know. It, is he going to derail Jay Edgar? Is he going to do something that just creates more chaos? I mean, I, you know, I just don't know. He, you know, I told you I like him, but he is a scary dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, because uh, he's likable makes him even more scary. You know? Yeah, so as much as there's 28 things that happen in this episode and you could pick so many, he's really my choice just because, man, you just don't know. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, and my part B, <clears throat> so I can have a, like a, a half second choice, is Beansy, uh-huh. is Beansy, because he has not shown up yet this season, and I just want yeah. to make sure that I mentioned him somewhere. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. He's duly noted, Beansy. All right, I'm going to go with Dwight Wise. I mean, we didn't have a lot of conversation about him. He was on my but, list. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But he's obviously very, very invested in finding out what happened yeah. to his son. Obviously. Yeah. He is taking these pictures. He's the one who has the pictures that leads Jerry to the Crenshaw Bar and Grill. Right. And, you know, and, and he has that confrontation with Jacques Avril. So I guess I'm just pointing out that even though he's not supposed to be, you know, wasn't supposed to be tailing Marcos and Arias or still involved with this and was kind of admonished about it, you know her RHD or their thoughts on it. He's, he's helping. So. Right. right. He's just helping. To point that out. He could create some hiccups. He's creating mm-hmm. for himself. No, he's. Mm-hmm. A good choice. All right, Pete. I think it's simple to stay with the theme of 308s and anti-governments. I found um, Waylon Strout. Okay. His brother just died in front of him. And the way these guys look at the government and the cops and everything in the law, I feel like that's going to set him off. To a, mm-hmm. to a bad path. And he just asked for a lawyer. And technically, he's not really in a lot of trouble in the situation right now. Mm-hmm. So they're probably going to have to cut him loose. And I fear a revenge plot possible by him. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, we know the way he feels. And he's a loud guy. He got loud with them. And in the, in the, he's, been, he's been standing his ground this whole time. So I, sure. feel, like, I feel like he's, yeah. he's a person of interest because he worries me about what he could possibly do. And now that Bosch is part of this case, and even Jagger and all my other favorites, I don't like it. it. It just leaves a bad, and we still don't know where all this all this bad stuff is. We found all those all those stuff in in these guys. Uh, what was it? Their house or their garage or whatever? The attic, yeah. Yeah, the attic. So I don't I, I, I don't know what they're capable of, and I don't know how how much they reach. And yeah, Waylon Strout is really scaring me now because he has a reason mm-hmm. and a motive. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, they have, they can't tie them directly to the cesium, but there's a lot of scary stuff they've uncovered about them. So yeah, definitely good to to call that out. All right. Well, with Evidence Locker, uh, what kind of new things do we get this episode? We lost some people, so we're not going to be able to talk to Travis Strout. (laughs) We can't talk to the CI Craver. Waylon's lawyering up, as they say. We know about the gun. So the gun was tied to the murder. That was, it was Stanley's gun. It was at the Strout's house, Strout's house. So, but the cesium wasn't at the house. So they still can't, it's just bad period that they can't find the cesium, but they have not been able to link them with the cesium, which is a pivotal part of the, yeah. the murder. I mean, that, that was the, that was the leverage, you know? So anything else? Well, I mean, we got those pictures from Dwight Wise that we just mentioned as far as Jerry's deal with interest in Jacques Avril and getting more information. So, yeah, I mean, I think the main thing we get to from this episode is that a lot's happening. A lot is is suspicious, but they can't quite lock it down. So I guess we'll have to see what happens next episode. We don't have any information from the tip line this week, but if you would like to have your thoughts shared on the podcast, we welcome that. And you can email Bosch at so many shows.com and we'll get that information and we want to share your thoughts, questions, ideas, theories on the podcast as well. So please help us flesh out our tip line, have have some tips for all the listeners who'd like do to it. be a part of that. Yes, do it. 
So that brings us to trivia, Pete. Well, now that we have a couple episodes in the belt and nobody got the first one because I purposely tried to make it as hard as possible and find the smallest little number that you guys would dismiss. So right. in the theme of numbers, in the second episode, mm-hmm. big numbers from what I thought on the TV screen. Yeah. There was a shootout, big shootout. Yep. And there was an address, a big, big four number address. Tracy, do you want to guess that? I'm mad because I wrote this down when I was watching the episode because I knew you were going to ask this. And now I can't remember it exactly. I might have numbers transposed. I'm going to go with, mm, I don't know if I go with my gut or, it seemed like 9530. Jay, do you have a guess? 321. All right, Jay is way off because I said four numbers and he said three. (laughs) (laughs) So he's disqualified. Is a trillion points. Um, Tracy, you actually had the four digit number, but the numbers were 9650. 9650. Okay. Well, at least I got the nine right. You know, I'm about the numbers. I gave her partial credit. Partial partial credit? She does get some credit. She gets more credit than Jay, who didn't even have four numbers. So (laughs) I will take it. You know what's sad is I have, I wrote down the numbers to the stupid uh, apartment. (laughs) I thought about that. Uh, I, I did write down those because I did notice those, but I did not get them on that. Those numbers were too small. I saw big numbers and said, all right, I had a hard one for the first episode. They were. They were large. Yeah. Yeah. On the house there. Okay. Well, we have a great, fun, informative interview with Madison Wentz, who plays Madeline Bosch. I just love her. So um, she's such a sweetheart. She's awesome. And I'm we're very happy. To have spoken with her so enjoy that but before we go i'm gonna put you on the spot jay Uh-oh. what do you want to tell our listeners about so many shows we're the everybody counts podcast and we are part of so many shows.com what do you want to share with the listeners wow you really are putting me on the spot <laughs> you know so many shows.com is our brainchild from way back when now where it's just a little bit of tv here and there and everywhere podcasts and reviews and recaps and all kinds of good stuff like uh you're writing the recaps for Bosch too mm-hmm. besides just this so there's it's just a cool place to get some extra content about some of your favorite tv shows and the other thing too is if you don't see your favorite tv show on so many shows.com we're always looking for more contributors to write stuff podcast stuff do stuff right you know yeah if you're passionate about a show it's just definitely. a fun way fun way to get more out of a tv show you know like here we are just talking for an hour about a cool tv show called bosch i mean like mm-hmm. it's just fun it's fun yeah i think what we found and how it kind of all came together originally is that there there are shows and a lot of them that people just want to talk about not just watch mm-hmm. you know so we try to help with that part and keep the conversation going after the show's aired so thank you jay for sharing that i think we're out for tonight stay tuned for madison see you later bye guys Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for talking to us. Yes. Thank you for having me. I think Jay's going to kick it off. He's got a good question. All right, let's do this. All right, the first question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you as it's actually written, and then I'm going to ask how I actually want to ask it. Okay. Interesting. Okay. 
We wrote the question is, what happened with Tom? Did he tell Maddie one too many times how to do things? Now, the real question is, what happened with Tom? Was it because of my hatred of him on the podcast that you finally got rid of him? Can you ask the, the, the way that you want it asked again? And also, could you elaborate on it? Well, <clears throat> I, I never liked Tom. I thought he was a jerk and a bunch of other words that we probably won't say on the podcast. And so I, I'm just wondering, is, is that why you got rid of him? Because you kind of heeded my own advice on the podcast or, or what happened there? Um, well, I don't think he was a jerk. I definitely think he was, he liked to think he knew what was what. And that definitely rubbed Maddie the wrong way. But I think mm -hmm. they both had a mutual respect for each other. And after everything that happened at the end of season five, I think they might have, my, my thinking is they might have tried, you know, grab a beer or whatever. But especially because she went back to college. Like, I just don't, I just, it didn't work. Kind of fizzled. Yeah, yeah it was done. For the record, I tried to defend Tom, but Thank the you. guys on the podcast, yeah, the guys on the podcast were just brutal. I, I said, you know, yeah. he might be a little bit shy and he's trying to be overconfident, trying yeah, to compensate, yeah, you know, Maddie's but he's a very just woman, so it's, it's hard exactly. not to, to exactly. overcompensate. But also, I think, a, I mean, for the record, I think a lot of guys in that industry are, are like that. Probably. And I think you have to maybe have that sort of sense about you in order to, to succeed. True. Yeah. That's probably going the long way. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, next up. Yeah. Harry is all about justice. So we know that. Where would you say Maddie falls on the spectrum of justice versus respect for the law? Like, is it ever difficult for her to see the law override justice sometimes? Uh, that's a very good question. I think that's a lot of what she is exploring this season. I won't say too much, obviously, to give that away, but I think that's definitely something that she's trying to figure out this season and what all of that mm -hmm. means to her. And I think she's met with a lot of harsh realities that kind of catch her off guard. And especially people in her life are react in ways she didn't, you know, mm -hmm. what justice means to her and, and what morality means to her and whether or not those two are always okay. synonymous. So that's definitely something you'll, you'll see this season. Okay. Okay, great. Now, I'm curious, what did you think of this year's hair and wardrobe choices for Maddie? Um, this year, meaning this season season six. Four. Season six. I yeah, loved it. On. I agree and so <laughs> I was all about it. It was fun, but also, like, business casual, they always have to, like, fix the belt and tweak the thing and fix the jacket and do the whole and steam it. Yeah. And so that was definitely all the a little bit more annoying. Usually Maddie's okay. in pajamas, so it was definitely yeah. <laughs> higher maintenance. But it was better style, so okay. I, it was worth it to me. That's okay, funny. very cool, very cool. So, so we know that you get to work with Coltrane for a little bit. So, give us some <laughs> scoop on working with our man Coltrane. You know, we everyone. I was so him. excited that I was really excited. There's so many like random things that you see in movies and TV shows, and it's like the most like the simplest of things. One of them being working with a dog. Because <laughs> um, right. you know, as obviously as people who are at all aware of the film industry, film and television industry, like when you're working with a dog, it's like a, a trained professional dog, and you have mm. to like work with it how the trainer wants you to work with it, and, right. and it's like takes timing and stuff like that. And so I, I read that 
you know, I got to work with Coltrane and I just was like, yes, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> like I got to yeah. check that off my, my bucket list of random <laughs> things that you do in movies and TV shows. Like another one with another one that you just have always, oh, you know, in like chick flicks where the popular girl like walks oh, in yeah. slow motion down a hallway. Yeah, maybe the hair blowing always, back or something. Always just... wanted to do that. <laughs> Always have wanted to do that. I'm crossing my fingers. You know, I, I, I kind of want to. I kind of want to do that too. That, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, it would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think you could pull it off, Jay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about the hair part, but the rest I could do. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's you've got the beard. That's there all that go. matters. So, were there particular challenges with working with a dog? A couple of times just because I wanted to just, I mean, because obviously you just always want to be loving yeah. him and, and, and treating him like yeah. a puppy dog, but he's working. Right. So there's been so many, there was many times where she was like, Hey, he's got to work. Yeah. So yeah. just hold off for a second. You can pet yeah. him after, but that, you know, and uh, I mean, she, she, he's awesome and they were very professional. So there was no challenges right. just, at all. It was just. I didn't get to pet him sometimes. And I know. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. yeah they have right, their jobs right. too. So, well, we wanted to ask you a little bit about maybe any differences between Harry's relationship with Honey Chandler and Maddie's relationship with Honey Chandler, how those kind of compare. Very interesting. I think Harry and Money see each other as equals and okay. they see each other as matches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they have a mutual respect for each other. Yeah, so I think Maddie views money as, like, for at least uh, for the, like, a greater part of the season as this, like, for lack of a better word, celestial being of, like, she is incredible. I want to be just like her. She's amazing. Like, you know, like, revered, like, respect. I want to learn everything I can from her. Like, she makes me so passionate about what I do. And I think a lot of that gets kind of put into perspective. Um, And she has a lot to think about and, and opinions get changed okay. Okay. i guess you could say Very and i won't say whether it's for better or for worse or for <laughs> neutral it's just she's given a lot to okay about. okay very cool oh there's my sister what does she think about you um playing working in a law i know she just sister. got back from work so yeah. um it's 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 fun it's really awesome she used to act as well okay. um and so she made the switch to law probably like three years ago or something like that three or four years ago maybe less and it's been awesome because I can text her whenever oh, I want yeah. and be like, hey, cool. what does this mean? And that's, I've done, I did that a lot sure. this season. Really um, awesome. Like, text her being like, okay, so what does this clause mean? What does this mean? What is this law? Like, what's that? Like, what, like, yeah. so she said this and then he said that and then they did this. Yeah. What yeah. does that mean? Like, because there's a lot of, of like minute details that they have worked into there that you wouldn't automatically mm-hmm. understand right. right off the bat and you can't like right. look it up. Because that's how, like, ingrained, obviously, into a crime drama, like, it is in the show. And I'm like, I don't understand why that person did that and what that means and why they're reacting this way. And I don't know how to look it up, so I have to ask my sister. All right. We have to. So she's been very helpful. I have a great resource there. I know I do. And I remember, like, four or five years ago, maybe three years ago on the show, I had to say the word, it's a subpoenaed. Uh And I didn't know how to say that word. And I didn't want to screw it up. And so I voice memoed my sister and was like, and I knew my sister was watching Suits at the time. Okay. And I was like, this was probably about two years ago. I was like, hey, Kens, I have to say the word subpoenaed um, for Bosch. And I don't know how to pronounce that. And can you just tell me if I pronounced it correctly? Because I know you've been watching Suits. So just let me know. And she voice memoed me back and was like, 
what the hell, Madison? I'm pre-law. I think I know how to pronounce that word, not just because I'm watching Suits. And I was like, oh, right. I forgot about that. That part. That. Yeah. Oh, there's that. <laughs> that's funny. That's very funny. Uh, that's All right. Well, we finish ever. off, you know, it's usually something lighthearted. So get, why don't you cue up our little, it's a contest this year. Not as much a game, but a contest. This year, you... You, your castmates, the creators of the show, everybody is getting asked the same three questions because we're going to figure out after we get through all of you who the winner is. So no pressure, but I know you want to do better than everybody else, right? You, yes. All right. <laughs> so three questions. Number one. The winner. All right. I like it. So. Number one. Number one. How many times in season six will someone mention J. Edgar's clothing? Oh my gosh. At least, I mean, at least four or five times. Is that a good answer? I, I have no idea. We haven't counted them uh, yet. Okay. So you, you tell we me. We haven't counted them yet because we don't have all the episodes yet. But do you, you want to go four or do you want to go five? Which one do you think? I want to do five. five okay. It is. All right. You're down. That, that might be right. overshooting it, but. And again. Right. The, the, the answers yeah. have ranged anywhere from zero to 17. So you're on the lower oh, end. Oh, of the so. lower yeah. end. Got yeah. it. Wow. 17? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody like really likes James. <laughs> two times an episode. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not called Bronx anymore. It's just J. Edgar's clothes. Yeah. That's what it's called. Next spinoff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell Lance okay. you're making fun of his answer. Oh, oh no, Lance. Oh no. <laughs> He's a big teddy bear. He's so nice. There you go. All right. The second one is how many times do we see Coltrane on screen in a scene? <gasps> how am I supposed to count? Hang on. I mean, like probably third I mean, so per scene. So if he's in it for like one right. of the like one of the scenes at the beginning of the scene and then at the end you see him again. But for the middle part, he had gone off camera. Does that count as two times, or is that no, just that's once? one time? One time, as long as yeah, Jay says that's one time, yeah. one continual scene, yeah. Probably yeah. thirty times. Wow. wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, last one. We were just talking about our man Lance, Chief Irving. He is known for his uh, disdainful or exasperated bosh. Mm. How many times in the season will we hear him mutter those words like that? Oh. <laughs> Four times. Four times. All right. Four times. We got you down. Very good. That sounds like a that sounds right. Yeah, I like it. That's a good solid answer. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna tally everything up after we get the season and have talked to everybody and See who the big winner is. Oh, that's so exciting. And, uh, that's the first thing I'll probably do yeah. is, is start counting. <laughs> Find out if you yeah. won. Because <laughs> I mean, what else do I have to do? I'm going to watch the whole season in 10 hours. Exactly. Like, exactly. Wait, you can do the work for minutes. us. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Honestly. That's funny. That's funny. Well, thank you so much thank for making you. time for us. You guys are so awesome and supportive on Twitter, and I love seeing you guys tweet and um i really appreciate the support and i love the show that i'm on and i love that you guys love it too so you guys are really important to me and have a special place in my heart oh, thank you oh, thank you all right. right well you take okay. care we're excited about next week all right yeah, all right. yeah. be safe yeah. Bye -bye. thank you you too